Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The name above every other name, O Lord. We come through your, by your name, through your blood. We come to you, Father, by faith. Plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus of your children everywhere. And rebuke the spirit of infirmity, spirit of confusion. Every spirit that tries to hinder your children from moving forward the will of God. We bind them in the name of Jesus. We release an unction of the Holy Spirit this morning, O Lord, upon everyone. Go before your people, Lord, today, each one. Make our way straight, Lord. Open doors. Let your name be magnified, glorified through it all, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We are with the sixth church. That is uh, Revelation 3 and verse 7 onwards where we have Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. This is the introduction we saw on Monday about Philadelphia. Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. So this is a church which has what is the most important in the kingdom of God. There is, like we've been looking in the church, there are two things that are important, three things which are important, of course, as Corinthians 13, 13 says, faith, hope, and charity, or which faith and charity or love is what makes our hope true. Because we need to realize, like whether it is faith or whether it is whether it is uh, love, like one thing constant we have to remind people, especially when we teach, is that both faith and love is not primarily an emotional thing. A lot of people, when they have their hope, it is emotions and not based on the facts of faith. And the facts of love, that's where truth comes in. So truth, that's why he says, I am the one who is true. Truth, that is God's word, truth, has to be applied to our faith. That's where James comes in and says, faith without works is true. You say you have faith, but I don't see it. Practically, there is no faith. He says, your faith is emotional. And emotions won't take you across the line. It is works that takes you. Can your faith stand the test of truth? Do you really have faith? In the same way, love is not just an emotion. There is emotions both in faith and there is emotions both in love. But that is not primary. That is secondary or even tertiary. What is primary is, does your love stand the test of truth? Okay, so, and then when it comes to Philadelphia, they begin the addresses to a church where there is true brotherly love. 
a true brotherly love. Then he says, this is a church to whom he addresses and his address to each church is different and it is important how he addresses himself. He says, he who is holy, we saw in the holiness of God, he who is true. And then he comes to the third one and he says, he who has the key of David. Keys designate one. First and foremost, it designates authority. Delegated or otherwise. Okay, delegated or otherwise. Authority. And second, also, you have access. You have access. Okay, like, when we ask some people more than others to pray, it's because the word of God says the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So what happens is that when you're walking in the righteousness of God, you have accessibility and authority to petition God. Okay, so though there were so many prophets of God hidden and 7,000 who did not bend their knees to God, Elijah had access like unlike the others. He had access. He had authority before God and access to God. Therefore, when he opens his mouth and speaks the first time to the king, what he says is, I who stand before God. Okay, so Jesus is talking about authority and access. And he opens no one shuts. What he shuts, no one opens. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 13, sorry, 18, he introduces himself. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. This is the most important key you can have concerning us. Okay, if all the other keys you lose also, it is okay. If you have key to this, he says, I hold the keys of hell and death. I decide. I decide who dies, when they die, where they go. Okay, and that's the most important thing. He says, I hold the keys. Okay. And going back in terms of authority, he says, I hold the keys of David. David. Okay, I hold the key. He who has the key of David. When uh, Matthew 1 1, when the New Testament begins with the uh, uh, genealogy, okay, this is how Jesus is introduced in the first verse of the New Covenant. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Because he stands sitting on David's throne. Okay, and that throne is an eternal throne. This phrase actually comes from Isaiah 22 and verse 22, okay, where uh, you will see uh, the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulders, so he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. In the in the context, literal context over there, Shebna, the steward has been caught stealing, okay, he has been misusing the authority given by King Hezekiah. So he's removed from his position and Elihim is being appointed. And when he's being appointed, he this is a statement that is made. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open, no one shall shut. And he shall shut, no one shall open. And you see this, this, these, uh, 
the aspect of this, like uh, the Pharaoh saying about Joseph. He's second to none, only to me. And everybody needs to go to him, except the matters of the throne. So basically, he's giving him the key of the kingdom of Egypt. After that, he is the one who rules. Okay, The father has given all authority and power in heaven and on earth and below to Jesus. So it is his kingdom. He will rule until he has brought all his enemies under his feet. Then only he will hand it over. That's what it basically means. So basically saying, Jesus is saying, I am sovereign. My decision is absolute and I have all authority. Okay, And when he says, The door that I open, no man can shut. And what I shut, no man can open. We need to understand in our context. Basically, he is saying, I control the flow of human history. I can't know. This is something which we need to understand. We look and we study and waste a lot of time on uh, history and news and everything. But we do not realize he controls it all. Everything is... That is why we of all people, should not be shaken by events that are happening. Because he, for as far as his church, his bride is concerned, he is in absolute control of their lives. Other lives he may not be in control in that sense because they haven't surrendered. That does not mean he's not in control. He controlling our lives and he controlling other lives are not the same. One is against their will. He is controlling sovereignly the movement of history. But our lives, when we surrender, he is controlling our events. That is why he is able to say, all things will work together for your good. It doesn't matter what they do. You don't worry about what they do to you. All things. Okay, And that's where it comes. Because we are looking at the Middle East. We are looking at all the things. But I do not know, I do not, I didn't read anywhere in, in any of these articles, though they are talking about Israel and the covenant and all that. I don't think they call for a national day of fasting and praying. Yet that is their history. That is the, that is where you have to see their dependence for all they say is no longer on God. God is overruling their rebellion. And their lack of devotion to him and still protecting him, protecting them because he has made a covenant with him and he doesn't go back on his covenant. They are lucky. They are actually very, very lucky nation that they have uh, literally in Genesis 15 a unilateral covenant God made with Abraham. If Abraham had been awake that day and it was a fire and Abraham walked between, their history would have been different. It should have been different. But he put their father Abraham to sleep and he walked unilaterally and made that covenant so that every time, even though they break, he's still faithful to his covenant. And they need to understand and we need to understand the same thing. So this is what Jesus is saying. He will decide in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. If I'm right, 5 and verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So entry into the kingdom of heaven was determined by him, is determined by him. It's nothing we can do. And the standard he sets is that your righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisee. The minute he makes this, makes this statement, we need to understand. This is the righteousness that comes by the law. The law demands you have to keep every inch of it. He says, you cannot enter unless you receive my righteousness. There's no other way. 
So he has the key. He opens or shuts doors, the door into heaven for every person. And when he shuts, no one can open. Okay, Genesis 7 and verse 16. Those that entered, male and female, all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. This is Noah. This is a first judgment. After that, there was nothing Noah could do or the millions outside could do. The door could not be opened because God shut them in. Okay. In Matthew 16 and verse 18. I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades, Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. Hell has its limits. Hell has its limits. His even hell is limited by Christ Jesus. Okay. And if you look at Ephesians 2 and verse 18. Through him we have both access by one spirit to the Father. There's no other way. He's the only way. He's, he, he's the key. You want to enter into the Father's presence. There is no other way. So we are, in so many ways, we are called to knock, to seek, to keep asking, and to keep knocking. Okay? Keep knocking. So we are asked to pray. Like in Luke 18, one we know, men should always pray and never give up. But the key is that when we come, when he comes, will he find faith on earth? Because we need to understand, faith is a very powerful key. One of the master keys in the kingdom of God is faith. That is why we preach on faith, because faith is what opens the door. So we are called to pray without ceasing and to to build in our most holy faith. Okay? So now, when we come back, when we back come, come back to Philadelphia, Okay, he begins with this statement by saying, you know, he says, you know what, uh, this is who I am, the one who opens the doors, the one door that I open, and no one can shut. And then he comes to verse 8, he says, I know your works. I know your works. Okay, every time to every church, he says that, I know your works. Which means nothing escapes the notice of Jesus. And there is nothing Jesus does not know. After introducing himself to this church, he says, I know your works. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Now he's telling to this church. The question is, what are their works that he has seen? that he leaves an open door for them or opens a door for them which no man can shut. And the next statement is extraordinary. He says, For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Because we always, in this world, which is true, in this world, the way man acts is that we often think open doors or opportunities are dependent upon our strength primarily money power and knowledge these three things open doors in this world if you have money you can open doors okay you have open doors if you have power you can open doors if you have knowledge you can open door let's take let us take uh, let us take 
simple things which used to happen in our days, I guess, still happens the same thing. Like, you know, when I was studying in my plus two, I had my classmate who had already booked his engineering seat when he was in school. Because it was a private engineering college where you could pay the management seat. Okay. So his father had already bought him a seat. Okay. So everybody is in plus two. Everybody is preparing for the entrance. But this guy is cool. Because he has an open door which money has bought. Okay. There will be another guy who is excellent in math, physics and chemistry. So he's confident of getting into engineering stream. Only he's wondering about which, which stream he will get. Okay, which stream he will get because his key is knowledge. Then there will be a third guy whose father is the minister. Who is also very sure that he can get into whatever he wants because his father will put in the word and the seat will be open for him. This is how the kingdom of this world works. You have either money, you have either knowledge or you have power, influence. But when it comes to this church, this church has nothing. This church has nothing. Okay, he says, this church has very little strength. You have very little strength. The first thing that is, is they have very little strength. And that is something which we don't like. We don't like. Okay. Second thing is that you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. You see, keeping his word and denying his, not denying his name, it is not the same for everybody. There could be a person who keeps his word and does not deny his name. Okay, let us take an example. You are living in a red town, in a red state. Okay, red town in a red state. Your town council is red. All the members of everything, including the school board, are red. Your state, your governor is red. Senate is red. Your congress is red. Everything is red. There you have kept your word and not denied his name. It's it's a great thing. It's a good thing. Not a great thing. It's a good thing. Now, you are living in Afghanistan. Okay, living in Afghanistan. And if you are known, your faith is known, there's only one option. You will be killed if you don't recant. There, you have kept your, his word and not denied his name. Outwardly, it looks both have done the same thing. But it is not the same. It is not the same. So that's why Jesus does not come with first and saying that you have kept my word and not denied my name. He says, I look at you. I look at you. He says, I look at your works. The context in which I'm seeing your works, the first thing is that you have very little strength. You are not like Laodicea, which has money, strength, numbers, and and uh, power, influence. Okay, in all like Sardis, they have a reputation. Okay, you are not like that. He says, you have very, very little strength. Okay, very little strength. And in that strength, in that very little strength you have, the first thing is that you are a very loving church. You are a very loving church. 
You're a very loving, that's how it begins, the church in Philadelphia. You're a very loving, brotherly kindness, kind to one another. You're a very loving church. Second, you have remained true to my word. They were true to his word. That is the important part. That means this is a church that is standing by faith. Okay, standing by faith. You have to remain true to the word. Now, like I said, faith, the atmosphere in which faith, that's why if you look into the entire history recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, what is commendable about all these people is in what context they exercise their faith. What? The odds were not for them. The odds were against them. They didn't have, no, like we are talking about Joseph in in Egypt is almost unbelievable. Joseph in Egypt is unbelievable. Where have we heard about anywhere in 2000 years of church history of one man all alone standing there in faith, a man who does not have the written word, a man who does not have anybody praying for him anywhere, who doesn't have a history of a church or anything. And yet he is standing there all alone in faith. So Joseph's faith is extraordinary. Extraordinary. And he has very little strength because he is a Hebrew in Egypt. He's got very little strength. That is what is commendable. Okay. Or Daniel taking that stand. He's not taking this stand in Jerusalem. He's taking this stand in Babylon, where he has very little strength, very, very little strength. Okay, or his three friends. Because they're all Hebrews in an extremely overpowering Gentile world. And the result is the same for Joseph, Daniel, and his three friends. God kept an open door for them, which no one could shut. First, Joseph's brothers tried to shut it by throwing him to the well. Let's see what happens to your dream. That dream was an open door. But you will see the dream will come. Nobody could shut that. The devil was first through the family, then Potiphar's family, and then the other guy. All methods the devil was trying to shut that door, but the door could not be shut. It could not be shut. Because the door was kept open by God. And the reason he kept open, you have to look at God opening a door and the reason. That is what is important. Okay. Now we don't have to worry about the door that God opens because when he opens, no man can shut. What we need to be realize, what is that I have to do to see the doors are opened? The first thing he says is that, know your weakness or be weak, which is the most difficult thing for us. Okay difficult thing for us. Be weak. Be weak. That's the first thing. Okay. Is it easy to be weak? No, it is not easy to be weak. Okay. It is not easy to be weak. That is why the first blessing in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Kingdom of heaven. And its corollary, 
corollary in the kingdom of God is, okay, sorry, is James 2.5. Okay, James 2.5. God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom are with him. He said, I will make you first. If you are poor in the spirit, if you are poor in the spirit, only you can be rich in faith. Okay, this is, this is condition. Okay, please don't understand, please don't misunderstand that because we hear the word and in our church we do online or offline the word all the time, we are rich in faith. No, we have just grown in knowledge. We are grown in knowledge. Okay, we are grown in knowledge. Which is not a bad thing because God's people perish because of lack of knowledge. Okay, it's not a growing in knowledge. It's not a bad thing in itself. But that does not mean we are rich in faith. Because this is the condition. You cannot grow rich in faith unless you become poor on one side. Does not become poor in one side. Okay, you cannot. And this is, you see the pattern everywhere with everybody, whether it is even with Gideon. Okay, Gideon has to be reduced down to 300 men. Has to be reduced to 300 men. He began with 32,000. First he has to be made poor. A literal picture is there, 32,000 to 300. He has to be made poor then only he can be made rich in faith. Okay. Rich in faith. Now we are not talking about poverty in terms of uh, money alone. We are not talking in terms of money. We are not talking about money here at all. Okay, But not trusting your riches. Not trusting your knowledge. Not trusting your influence. In Second Corinthians chapter 12, because we'll go to that part first, weakness. Chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Okay. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Okay. We, we know the context. Maybe somebody who doesn't know is hearing. Okay. Now Paul started last but was almost finishing first. He's now miles ahead of the rest of the apostles. He's been given revelations like no man's business automatically. And he's probably the youngest of the apostles now, probably as young as John or maybe younger, we do not know. So he's got, in the flesh, he's got everything going against him. One, he's young. He's young. Because the Bible talks about be careful about young people being put in positions of authority because they will fall because of pride. One, he's young. Two, he's extremely knowledgeable. Third, history says he's extremely rich. His father is, is, is a very rich man, owned ships and all. And the fourth thing, he's born a Roman citizen, which is the power, influence in that society. So he's got power, influence, he's got knowledge, he's got money, he's got it all. He's got it all, okay? And then when he comes into the kingdom, the same thing continues. Now he's far ahead of the other apostles when it comes to revelations. So God says, looks at it and says, you know what? This is not good for you because you know what? Pride will set in and all that you worked for, you will end up by losing. So he says, I had a messenger sent by Satan. 
we do not know what it is, but we can understand uh, this in different contexts, different contexts for different people. And if you look at most great men in the Bible, or most great men in in history whom God has used powerfully till the end, they all had something that kept them humble. And God did not remove that from their lives. He did not remove from their lives. Okay, We want this perfect environment and life. God says, it doesn't work that way for you. That worked because what happens is it will make you proud. So we don't automatically, even if you fast, it doesn't make you humble. It is only a means to humble. It doesn't. The Pharisee was fasting three times a week and he was so puffed up. So fasting does not make you necessarily humble. Though it is a means to humble yourself. And the fact of the matter is that when a man is truly humble, he doesn't have to fast. Then it becomes a part of the religion. It becomes part of, we are not following a religion. Jesus, if you look at it, didn't usually fast like that. Okay? He went on once in his life a 40 day fast. Because he didn't need to fast like that. Because he was lowly and meek. So we need to understand there are various things which God has given us. How can I make myself of little strength? Is the question. That is the question. How can I make myself of little strength? And for me, if I have understood from scripture, personal interpretation of scripture is this. The two ways, primarily there are other ways like fasting, there are different, different ways. The two primarily ways by which you can make yourself humble, the first is prayer. Okay, if you go to Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, you will see the order turns around. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay? It was not word first. Okay? Word first. It was prayer first. Prayer, the primary interpretation of prayer is that is how it shows your dependence upon God. Dependent, dependence upon God. And if you let us say, if you are a man who has money, okay, so you have no worry about means, you have knowledge, and you have influence power. You have these three, but yet you will not do anything without praying and seeking God's counsel. You are a humble man. You are a humble man. A poor man praying, a rich man praying, is not the same. A poor man is... Compelled to pray. A foolish man, ignorant man is compelled to pray. A man who has no power is compelled to pray. But supposing the other way, you have all these three and you are a praying person. You are a praying person. Okay. So the first true sign of humility is that you are a praying person. You pray. All times, good times, bad times. A lot of people pray in bad times, meaning all people pray in bad times. That does not mean you are a humble person. It is your circumstances that is compelling you to pray. We are not talking about that. We are talking about a lifestyle. Jesus, how do you know Jesus was meek and lowly? All you have to look at is prayer life. Okay, prayer life. The second thing you know a person is humble. person is humble. One, a humble person is that he listens to another person. 
Okay, hearing is one thing, listening is one thing. Listening in listening or hearing, you have obedience also. You listen to another person. Another person. Okay? That's so the other person is the word of God. Primarily it is the word of God. You talk about authority figures are their parents. We begin with parents and then we go from home to church when we talk about ecclesiastical authorities. Then we step into the world as we are growing up. But all these authority figures have already delegated authority. None of them have absolute authority. Nobody has authority. Absolute authority is this. Okay, the word of God is the absolute authority. So even the parents' authority is constrained and restricted by the word of God. Word of God. Okay, word of God. A lot of those Hamas young men, okay, who went out to do those brutal, we are not talking about the justification for opposition to occupation. That was not what was happening to sheer terror of beheading babies, women, children, rape and all. Many of those young men went with the knowledge and the consent of their fathers. With their fathers. So you need to see that. Then that father does not have authority because he is abusing authority. He's abusing authority. So these pictures are there in our culture, especially Indian culture, this absolute authority of the father and the mother. No, there isn't. I mean, why should a child honor his father and mother? Why should a child obey his parents? Why? You need to ask a question. Why? answer is because God said so. If those verses are not written in the Bible, then that there is no authority. God said, God said, why should a church member or a sheep obey his shepherd? Because God said so. Why should we obey the laws of the land? Because God said so. God said so. Okay, so that is the first sign of humility. The first sign, sorry, second, the first sign of humility is your prayer life because you are dependent upon God. Second sign of humility, you are dependent upon what God has said. God has said. So please don't misunderstand meekness for weakness. A meek person, the way he or she responds to their truth, because you will always uphold truth. So don't Get angry when you are children, when you become parents and when you have children. The children ask the question, why? Why should I do this? If the tone is like defiant, of course, the tone has to be corrected. But we should not get upset when they ask why. If, you're explain, if you can explain and make them understand, it is perfect. Because you need to realize why is answered. They have the right to ask why. If my child has the right to ask me why, because I have only delegated authority. I don't have absolute authority. Absolute authority. Don't immediately say you are a rebel. No, you're not a rebel. If you're a rebel, if you are defined because you don't want to obey. But if it is something has to say, that you asked me to do that, but why do you want me to do that? Because he's having a moral questioning in his mind. 
ethical questioning in his mind. Is it right or wrong? Then you can explain him. Look here, son, this is what is written. Can bring a context. This is the way we inculcate respect for authority in the child. This is what God was saying in Deuteronomy. Wherever you go, when you sit, when you walk, when you stand, this thing, you know, speak the word to them. So that they know your authority is not inherent. Your authority is not inherent. You need to realize there is no authoritative book in this entire world except the word of God. Even the constitution can be amended, but the word of God cannot be. You cannot add or subtract. You can amend the constitution. Can amend the con- any constitution can amended with certain clauses to be fulfilled. You can amend the constitution, but what you need to understand is that the word of God. That is why the preamble to the U.S. Constitution is so different from every other constitution because it talks about inalienable rights bestowed upon every person by the Creator. Meaning, says even the government does not have the right to take away those rights. That's the only constitution as far as I know. Where your rights are not traced to the government, it is traced to God. And therefore it's inalienable. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be taken, it cannot be taken away. So we need to understand because this is where it comes, because that's a, that's a whole issue over these things. And therefore, when a man submits to the word of God, and he's that basically when you see the word of God, please remember you can never detach the spirit of God from there. That's why where the Bible says where the spirit is Lord, there is liberty. The word and the spirit. And when he has a genuine prayer life where he's actually dependent upon God in good times and bad times, you can say this man has proved to God every time I have very little strength. I'm not depending upon any of these things. Okay. To such a man or to such a church, God says, I'll open a door for you. I'll open a door for you, which no man can shut. So the first thing his commendation to Philadelphia is they have very little strength. Okay, Very little strength. And he says, because you have very, very little strength, he says, you know what? And the fact is that with your very little strength, what you have done is you have obeyed my word. You have obeyed my word. You have obeyed my word. You're living in love. You have obeyed my word. Which is not easy. I'm telling you it is not easy. It is not easy. Because you will be always misunderstood. Misunderstood. Like, if you look at in the, uh, we don't have to go there in the book of Genesis, when Joseph says no to a temptation, he's invoking God. God, invoking God. Okay, and if you look in that context, it doesn't make any sense because his God is different from all the other gods, Egyptian gods. Their gods are not like that. The Greek gods, the Roman gods, are not like our God. So he's invoking a non-entity. Non-entity. Okay, he's invoking. And second, invoking that God is only going to bring him trouble. It brings him trouble. He goes into prison for years and years and years. He had very little strength. But he was true to the word. 
That is why God is revealing. See, the revelation of Jesus Christ to Philadelphia is because who they are. He says, you are true. Therefore, I reveal to you as I am true. You are true. If you go to the other one, he says, you have not denied my name. You have not denied my name. He says, you have not denied my name. Can I have Second Samuel twelve fourteen in NIV? Second Samuel twelve fourteen. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I will. Okay, it's okay. Okay. Here, this is God speaking to the prophet Nathan to David about what he did, what reaction it had among the enemies of God. Enemies of God. Now, we don't know who those enemies are. I don't think any of the neighboring kings knew. But we are talking about spiritual enemies. He says, you know what? Because of the way you did stuff, my name is mocked by the enemies. Because we sometimes associate name with power and all. But that's not the first concept of God's name. The first concept of God's name is, hallowed be thy name. His name is holy. And the Jews took it literally and would not pronounce his name. That's why we are the ones who say Yahweh. They, don't, they won't say it. They won't say it because his name is so holy. His name is so holy. So he said, you had very little strength. You kept my word. You walked by faith. You did not deny my name. Meaning you kept my name holy. Therefore, I am showing to you who is holy. See, revelations of God to his people are dependent. Dependent. A lot of people do not experience God because they have very little, they have much strength. They have much strength. So God cannot reveal to you. You are called by God. You are set apart from your mother's womb. You have been made a prophet, a voice for the nations. But for 80 years, God cannot personally come and speak to Moses because he is strong. Yet he has been chosen, miraculously saved. Everything that has happened in his life has been ordained by God. But God cannot speak to him because he's got too much strength. Then a day when God knows this man has no strength at all. And that day God appears and speaks to him and says, this is who I am. So we have the, in, in the Bible the first revelation of God, a separate, a different revelation of God which was not shown to anybody before that to Moses because he is of very little strength. So we need to understand our strength will determine whether how God will reveal ourselves. Okay, our faith will reveal how God will reveal himself to us. How we consider his name will reveal how God will reveal himself to us. Okay, so these three things are there. Our strength, our faith, and how do we consider his holiness. How do we consider his holiness? So in this passage, God who had revealed himself to David in so many ways, he says, you know what? You did not hallow my name. Now my enemies are mocking my name because of you. Because of you. Because of you. So this, these things are, are important because what will make a church or an individual effective? 
effective because we are so much used and the church, sadly, the church, and we have come to that point where the church is literally with the back against the wall. And uh, the church has been picking up models from the world, more than the world. Okay, like uh, if you look at uh, David, David's three major failings in his life. Okay, the first failing is that he thought in his mind that if I go on like this, Saul will kill me. So he thought it's a brilliant idea to go to the Philistine king and live for a season. So he put his trust in his own brains, strategy. God did not reveal to him for 16 months until everything he built was destroyed. Then God gave him favor. He won and he won all the kings. He spares peace and then he became very complacent. I don't need to go to, he put trust. Okay, I don't need to go to war. Let these people go. He's so comfortable in his power and everything and then he again fell because he was much strength in that point. Okay. The third thing he will fall is that he wanted to count the number of people. The general said, don't count, sir, don't count. But this is how it all works. This is all how it works. And again, God had to humble him. God had to humble him. He counted the fighting men. And 70,000, if I'm right, died on that day. So God is teaching us through all of this and teaching us through Philadelphia. Philadelphia is going to have an open door opportunities. Two, there's a trial that is going to come up on the whole earth. Trial that is going to come up on the whole earth and he says, you will escape. I'll keep the door open for you and nobody can shut it. And that's why we need this thing because trials are coming upon every life. If God has to open a door through which I can go through, what is that I need? And what God is recommending, or is he doesn't recommend anything, what God is telling here, it's a very difficult thing to practice. It's very difficult to practice. It's very, very difficult to practice. Okay, very, very difficult to practice. We we saw in the Nepali service yesterday the parallel chapters of 18 and 19, how different it is, yet it looks outwardly so similar. Three men, that is Jesus and two angels, comes to Abraham's house. Abraham runs, bows, offers them hospitality, and they say, okay, do as you want. And the same two people, after that three, goes to Lord's. He also bows and rushes and said, come to my house. And they said, no, we'll sleep in the marketplace. How God is willing to fellowship with one man and does not want to fellowship with the other one. Because Lord had become strong. In Sodom. He had amassed money. He had built a house. And he was sitting at the gates. And God says, I don't want to fellowship with you. You are a very carnal Christian. You are a Christian, but you are a very carnal Christian. Your trust is in those things. And I would rather sleep in the marketplace. It's because he insisted very strongly they went in. But when they went in, what he brought was not a blessing. What he brought in was trouble. Because then the trouble came to his doorstep. We have to get this pictures very very clearly because there is no other there is no other way so our god can open impossible doors if you look at let's look at it just a few verses isaiah 54 1 and 2 54 1 and 2 yeah not 55 54 54 yeah 
Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Now look at that. Which barren woman will sing? By the sense, by being barren itself, she is weak. In a society where children are uh, valued, she is barren. She is barren. But it is a weak, you know, it's in a weakness, God's strength is going to be manifested. That's why we have all these matriarchs being barren. Matriarchs, Sarah is barren, but it is in her barrenness God's power will be manifested. Rebecca is barren. It's in her barrenness her power, God's power is going to be manifested. Rachel is barren. It's in her barrenness God's power is going to be. Elizabeth is barren. Hannah is barren. The question is, in your, how do you react to your barrenness? Are you going to fight like Rachel? And as long as Rachel fought, God didn't touch her womb. As long as Anna cried and wept and fought, he didn't touch her womb. But when she became weak, then God touched her womb. That's what God is talking about. If you go to Isaiah 43 and verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now what he's talking about is a situation, okay? A river flowing in a wilderness is not an easy thing. It's an impossible thing. A river in the desert is an impossible thing. So God is saying is that the door that I open, no man can shut. It's, I can make impossibilities into possibilities. Otherwise, why do we need faith? Why do we need faith? So God will bring us to, the, if you go to Psalm 106, verse 9 and 11, 9 to 11. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Now what God is, why does God do certain things? We don't understand in the beginning, okay? Israel is a slave nation. They've come out of Egypt, and he brought them the long way, brought them to an impossibility. Brought them to an impossibility. And then the Pharaoh and the army. See, till then the Pharaoh and the army hasn't touched them. Even though ten plagues have been inflicted on the land, the Pharaoh hasn't raised a single hand against Israel during that period. For the first time he has gathered his army and is coming with 600 iron chariots. The whole force of the empire is behind them. Literally behind them. Because we need to understand this is what is happening to like in the most free supposedly country, the whole weight of the government, crooked government, Department of Injustice and the Federal Bureau of Intimidation is against the people. The whole weight of Pharaoh is. The question is when the whole weight of Pharaoh, here also the same, the ED, income tax, CBI, is underway. But those people who are there after themselves are corrupt. We don't have to worry about them. But we are talking about when the powers of the government is used against God's people. What does God's people do? What does God's people do? They have to look up to God and say, Lord, you brought me here. That is the first thing. I didn't reach here on my own. I didn't reach here on my own. You brought me here. You brought me here. You brought me a long way. You brought me to this point. Now, Lord, the door that you open, no man can shut. 
And the door that you shut, no man can open. And in this particular incident, you will see he opens the door and Israel passes. And as soon as Israel passes, he shuts the door and the Pharaoh and the army is yeah. gone. Okay, so God is, all these things are written for us, okay? Because the reason is this, sometimes we open a door in our own strength. And then somebody comes and shuts it behind us and we are not able to escape. We are stuck. So we have to be very, very careful. That is where patience comes. That is why in the book of Hebrews, the Bible will say, it is through faith and patience God's people inherit the promises of God. But we should do what we are called to do. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. But leave the opening to God. Okay, if you look at same pictures in the new covenant, Peter was bound and he was to be executed the next day. And there was nothing the church could do. The church had no power. It had no influence. It had no numbers. The absolutely brutal Roman Empire and under the Herod ruling. They kill people at their will and fancy. All you have to do is called uh, traitor against Rome. That's all a label. That's what they do here also, domestic terrorist and then in the, um, what if city, what they, what they call it, another terrorist is there. All kind of names are given. In US you will see domestic terrorist, no, they, conservatives, tags are given. That's all it is needed. And these leftists are very good in giving tags. Very good in giving tags because we have to care for, because that's how they do it. That's all they need. That's, see, when they could not, when they, when the, when the priests knew they could not get Rome to execute Jesus, they said we have no other king against but Caesar, and that he is uh, fomenting rebellion in this country. Okay, so they put a tag on Jesus, he's a domestic terrorist. Okay, though he was the most peaceful man. Okay, so he is bound over there, and then what the church has, they can do nothing, but they did one thing they could do in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5, the Bible says, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. That is where their weakness comes and their faith comes. What did they do? They did one thing they could do. What did they do? They knew we have very little strength, but not our God. Our God is not limited other than by our unbelief. The door that he opens, no man can shut. So if you look at verse 7, the first thing that happens, and then verse 10, is that there are three miracles that happen. The first thing is that uh, his chains fell off. Chains fell off. Second thing that happens over there is the soldiers keep sleeping. And the third thing in verse 10, you will see the first and the second, then the iron gate that leads to the city, it opened for them on its own accord, and they went out, went down one street. So you will see the door that he opened, you know. Everybody thought, you know, everybody thought they were secure. I mean, that's, that's, that's how the tragedy happened in Israel. The most prepared nation on earth for a terrorist, terrorist attack, the most prepared nation on earth for terrorist attack. Terrorist attack was caught unprepared. You know why? Because they had put their trust in their own strength and in their power and their capabilities and not in their God by which they are known. You know? They have known. It's their God we worship and we became our father. 
But you know what? And they were caught absolutely napping. The, 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 the best what uh, agency called Mossad. Everybody was caught by surprise. They were caught by surprise. You know what? Because they put their trust. But what does prayer do? Prayer is something which shows you trust God. And here in this situation, what happened? They were putting their trust in God. If you come to Acts chapter 16, 24, 25, we know it's called, but we have to revisit these places so that we can see it. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay. Now, they are in Philippi. It's a Roman city, Gentile city. And there are two Hebrews there. The thing is that after they are later, he will put across his strength. But he doesn't use his strength now. He doesn't say he's a Roman citizen now. That is not his first call. That is his last call. Last call. Like when we fall ill, our first call is the doctor and not God. Now both are there. Okay, both are there. Paul is there in the Roman prison. Silas is there in the Roman prison. Their first call is God and not their Roman citizenship. Otherwise, he could look at a jailer and tell them, I'm a Roman citizen. The whole picture would change. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that at all. His first call is not man. His first call is God. Okay, so they have very little strength. They're in a foreign country, foreign city, no influence, nothing. And then what happens is... At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Okay? In James chapter 5 and verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. That's simple as that. Okay, simple thing. And a lot of people who suffer don't pray. Please understand that because it is written, don't think that people pray. They just complain. They don't pray. <laughs> You don't pray, they just complain. And you cannot pray and complain. You cannot. You cannot. This, this is oil and water, they don't mix. They don't mix. You can either pray or you can complain. God will listen to both. Because he has listened to prayer in the Bible, he has listened to the complain also in the Bible. But if you pray and complain, you won't listen to either. Okay? So either you pray or you complain. Results are different, of course. So, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Let him pray. Okay. I'm not saying you can open, you can't open up your heart to, but be very careful. When you're opening and up to God, you are not complaining and grumbling. God has no issues of us venting to God. Lord, why is all these things? He has no issues with that. There's no issues with that. Habakkuk and all opens his heart and then he ends up completely different. He says, you know, this is the book of Habakkuk is venting. It's venting. Okay, and God has no issues. But he knows the difference whether we are complaining, whether we are grumbling. Because when you are complaining or grumbling, we are questioning who God is. The very nature of God. So the first thing God says is, you pray. You pray. But they were not just praying. In First Peter 4.16. 1 Peter 4.16. Yet... If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this matter. First thing you have to ask is that, you know, I am in trouble. Is it because of sin? 
or is it because of Christ? Be honest about it. Honest about it. Okay, because solutions are different. If it's because of sin, no amount of praising is going to change your situation. Repentance is the solution. Repent, confess, you're fine. It's good. God is good. But if it is because you are a Christian, you are being persecuted because of Christ, then God says, glory, let him glorify him. Basically means praise him. How do we glorify God? We glorify God him by thanking him, by praising him. So these are two essential combinations, which only one who has got very little strength, who will keep his word and will not deny his name, will do. Will do. Will do. And the Bible says, when you do this, first thing that happens is the chains come off. Chains come off. The second thing that happens is the doors open. The doors open. These pictures are given in the Bible. Pictures are given in the Bible. We can, this is Acts chapter 16, 24, 25, 26. Okay. The first thing that happens is the chains come off. Okay. There was an earthquake. The chains come off and all the doors fall open. The windows, doors, everything, everything open. Okay. All the doors are open. Everyone's chains are loosened. Okay. It doesn't matter how many times we hear it until this is practiced. Nothing is going to change. Our impossibilities will not become possible. Okay, because often what we are trying to do is twist God's hands. And God's hands cannot be twisted. God's hands cannot be twisted. And then when God opens the door, we don't have to fear any man shutting it. Because it's not possible. And when God shuts the door, you don't have to worry about any man opening it. In Daniel chapter 6, 21 and 22. Okay. Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut. Shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me. And it is not a small thing because these lions were fed through the prisoners. They're waiting. See, they say, and I think it is true, they see is that once a tiger or a lion becomes a man-eater, it will stop hunting the other animals. Other animals. Okay, so these are man-eaters. And he's been thrown into the middle of man-eaters, but there's a God who can shut the lion's mouth. Can shut the lion's mouth. Okay, so we take these principles and we apply it in the kingdom of God, saying that if you are humble, your prayer life, you are humble, the real spiritual humility we are talking about, you are humble, and you keep his word, and you don't deny his name, then God will shut the mouths of lions. It doesn't matter what lions do, it will be of no effect on your life. You will go through it all. Another picture you look is, Acts chapter 6, verse 21. 21-22. Yeah, sorry, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, 23. Okay, Acts, oh, sorry, 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 Daniel, 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 not Acts. Daniel 3, 23. Then 25, then 27, 3, 23. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. 
In verse 25, the first thing that happens is that, look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. The first thing that happens is that their, their, their uh, ropes are burned off. Ropes are burned off, the first thing. And verse 27, when they are pulled out, Okay, said okay. The fire had on saw these on these men whose bodies the fire had no power, and the hair of their garment was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. What did God do? If you want to look at a fire as a personality, God shut its mouth over them. It had no power to harm them. The fire had lions had no power, he shut their mouths and he shut. I mean, how can you change the nature of fire? Ask this question. How can you change the nature of fire? It is not possible. But by God. Only God can change. That's why the creator is hallowed because he's apart from creation. You cannot tell him how can he change the nature of fire. He says, I created. I can do whatever I want. How can you walk on water? He said, I created these laws. I can overrule those laws. The only laws he will not overrule are his moral laws. But he can rule if, overrule every other law. Every other law overrule. And that's what we are talking about. When God opens a door, he can overrule anything. He can overrule anything. Everything. And that's where the, the miracles come in. What is a miracle? A miracle is a suspension of God's own laws, physical and natural laws. How can water turn into wine? Impossible. But why did the water turn into wine? Because a few servants who were very weak, they were so, he didn't call the disciples, they were not weak, they were strong. They were strong. So he called the servants, the least servants, the least category servants in that household who were kept to wash their feet. He said, you fill, you take. A miracle took place. This is how it works. Every time this is works. So you're looking at a whole church who has been trained by their pastor and they are in affliction, they are in very difficult situations. Okay? And how this church has come through. So what matters is, what God says is ultimately what matters. It doesn't matter what the world says. Because Laodicea has some big things. Because this Philadelphia has contrasted with Laodicea. They are big, they are small. They are rich, they are poor. They have great strength, they have no strength. But God says about them, he says, you know, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it. For you have little strength, you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. So what have I do? I've kept an open door for you. So the introduction is first that. He is holy. How do we maintain it in our life? Hallowed by be thy name. Thy name is holy. Lord, help me to be holy. Why should I be holy? The simple question is, why should I be holy? These are questions people need to ask. Be holy as I am holy. Okay. But why should I be holy? Because I was baptized in his name. That's the only reason. There's no other reason. The reason is we have been given his name. So anything we do that does not correspond to his name, it goes to him. That is why he looked at David and said, Saul can do whatever he wants because the people picked him. I didn't pick Saul. They picked him, I anointed him. But I picked you. I picked you. I am the one who picked you. So whenever you do something, 
it affects my name. Okay, affects my name. And you will see in subsequent history, people will call upon the God of David. And when Jesus walks on earth, the Christ, son of David, have mercy on him. He says, David, you say, I put my name on you. I've given you my name. And therefore, by your actions, you have caused my enemies to blaspheme my name. So here is a church. To that church, he says, I'm holy. Why? Because you have not denied my name. You kept them. I am true. And you are true. Because you have kept my word. I kept my word. And do you know who I am? I'm the one who opens doors. No man can shut, shut doors. No man can open. To you, I've kept a door open for you. And no man will be able to shut it. So this is very powerful principle God is putting across how he acts in the lives of his children and how he acts in history. So God says, don't look at outward things. You want things to happen in your life, fall in line with my word. That's why Jesus says, sanctify them by my word. Your word is the truth. We shall go to Peter and we shall pray. Father, this morning we come to you, Lord. You are the same God yesterday, today, forever. You never change. You're the same God who still 2,000 years later promises His people, His church. The door that I open, no man can shut. And the door that I shut, no man can open. But what you're looking is, how do we come to you with strength or in weakness? In faith or in unbelief? Acknowledging that you are holy or profane. Jesus, holy. There was a church that lived in difficult, extremely difficult times. Most cruel and strong empire. But to them, you gave this promise. The door that I open, no man can shut. No man can shut. No man can shut. We have enemies, demonic men and women. Working day and night to shut doors for your people. Touch, 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 touch. Today, Lord, I pray, open doors for your people. Open doors. Safe passage for those who need safe passage. Open the Red Sea for your people. Then you closed it behind when the enemies tried pursuing. Yes. Open doors, Father, for your healing to flow. For many who are not well in the ICU, open the door, oh Father. Let your healing virtue flow, Father. The woman with an issue of blood touched the hem of your garment by faith. But that opened a door for her. And your virtue, Lord, I pray, would touch kids today, Lord. Yes, yes. Door. Yes. That comfort was your word. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Your strength would flow. Yes, Jesus. Strengthen 
your provision will flow father yes 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 lord you challenged us in the book of malachi see if i will not open the windows of heaven yes thank you lord in every area your children lack your answer is and our answer is jesus he is our all he is our everything the question is do we really believe we sing he is my everything he is my all but we react like abraham when you came to him and said i am your shield and your exceedingly reward his response was what's the point i'm childless You have opened the greatest of all doors that will be shut for millions the door of salvation that one door alone is enough to make us grateful for all of eternity and you opened it there was nothing we could do to open that door you opened that door and your word says Lord if you did not spare your own son for us how much more with him will he give us all things this is a trial that is upon the earth and coming upon the earth your people need open doors yes we do thank you lord many out to destroy your souls yes lord but we need an open door many out to destroy literally destroy is but he needs an open door yes yes that will be hidden kept in safety yes that no power on earth can touch him yes yes no power of hell no power on earth he needs an open door and i pray he will come to you every day in he weakness will, he will in jesus name in faith I believe he will come to you every day teach you lord is but a child yes in faith yes yes but let him come to you yes. with child like faith come let him come because you said unless you become like a child, child converted you cannot enter into the kingdom of god and i pray he will come with that child like faith yes he will yes he will and you will keep him safe yes god from every attack yes yes, yes. the enemy in the name of jesus all we can do is what we are called to do stand in the gap intercede for him thank you lord for all the people thank you that charge that thank you gratitude all of them thank you, touch lord. them touch them touch them thank you lord thank these you these are your war veterans lord they're fighting in battle they've been fighting it for years and refuse to quit lord and i pray you touch them you touch them you touch them Kit needs a supernatural door of yes, healing. Yes, he does. He does. Breathe upon him. Yes. Shut doors mean nothing to you, Lord. The disciples were sitting with the door shut because of the fear of the Jews, but you just came in. I pray you will just walk through, Lord. Wherever he is, there I see you. Breathe upon him the breath of life. Yes, Lord. We stand here and proclaim your word in yes, faith. Lord, yes, Lord. That kids shall not die. 
Shandi. But love and declare the works of the Lord. Lord. Yes, Lord. Hannah, our home needs comfort. Comfort her, Lord. Strengthen her, Lord. Comfort. Heal. Arise, arise, O Lord, arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Wicked, wicked are the plots of the enemy, Lord, to take your children's inheritance away from them. But you are the one who fights for your children, Lord. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, thank you, Lord. We will stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord. We will look back and see the enemies that we saw are no more, Father. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. You us. To a place of safety, yes, Lord. Father. Yes, Lord. The power of darkness will prevail, O oh God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Once again, we exercise your authority in your name. We bind every power of darkness yes, fighting yes, your church and your people. We bind them in the name of Jesus. We release the power of God, the protection of God over your people here everywhere, Lord. Be with us today, Lord. Be before your people. Go before your people. Open doors, O oh Father. Open doors. And every snare of the enemy shut it, O oh Lord, that your people don't stumble and fall into it, O oh Lord. With the door you open, no man can shut. The door that you shut, no man can open. We just thank you, we serve all powerful God. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. This morning, once again, we bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name, we bless your holy name, and we once again declare, Thine is the kingdom power and, and the, the glory, glory forever.